Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everyone, welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name is Tina. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. And alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all in family ministry, our kids coming alongside of us and doing ministry all together as a family unit. This podcast is committed to helping build biblical literacy by pointing you toward Jesus as the center point of all the Bible and encouraging you to read the whole Bible so that you can find Him in that. Mm -hmm. In this season, season two, we've committed to answering Bible questions that are submitted by listeners and viewers. And this week's question is a difficult one. Mm -hmm. And if you check for an answer in multiple sources. Maybe you go to YouTube, maybe you Google, um, maybe you even go to some Bible commentaries. You're probably going to find different answers from different sources. Sure. But like always, we're going to do the very best we can to stay in Scripture and just let the Word of God speak. What does the Bible say about this? And this week's question is, when did Satan fall from heaven? Yeah. That's a big one. It is a big one. And we've got a long way to go. So Stacy, before we jump into scripture, go ahead and introduce yourself. Great. Thank you, Tina. So my name is Stacy Vines. Alongside my husband, Rick, we are small business owners and nonprofit founders here in our community. We are also founding families here at our home church, Ecclesia Christian Church. Uh, reading the Bible from start to finish has been a banner that I have um, lifted high in my life. My life has been marked out by seasons of reading God's word from start to finish. So to step through scripture with my good friend, Tina, and then with all of you has just been a pleasure, and I'm excited to get into our our question today because it is a big question, and it warrants lots of scripture, which we love to do, so we're going to step right into it, buckle up, because we do have a lot to cover in this episode. So before we jump into any new material that we've never covered on this podcast before, I want to revisit something that we have looked at a few times, including in our most recent episode, we're just going to read Job 1, 6 through 12. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came with them also. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch your hand out and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Mm. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So what this tells us pretty plainly is that In the days of Job, which is likely sometime between the people being scattered from the Tower of Babel, Mm -hmm. which we've dealt with recently on this podcast, and then the calling of Abraham out of Ur, which is in Genesis chapter 12. So sometime between Genesis 11 and Genesis 12 on the timeline of history, Mm -hmm. Satan was in the presence of God. Right. So where then does the Bible say that he actually fell from heaven, was Mm -hmm. removed from that presence? Yeah, and that's the question. We want to know when did that actually happen. And so we've got a lot to step through, and it's something that we've 
talked about on this podcast a couple of episodes ago. And we just want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to season two, episode 15, to just go ahead and push pause, uh, back up, take a listen to that. That is titled, What Does It Mean to Speak in Tongues? And surprisingly, to answer that question, we talked a lot about what we're talking about today. In that episode, we noted uh, you know, that Satan, he wants to keep us from speaking this common language of love um, centered around Christ, and he creates confusion and discord among us by confusing our the way that we communicate when we're not communicating with unity and love. And the reason why is because he is just so mad. Yeah. And that's where we're going to actually begin answering this question about when was Satan cast out of heaven? Yeah. So Satan is mad. Why is he so mad? He is raging. What in the world is he raging about? So in order to do that, we are going to pick up and we're going to steadily step through Scripture We're going to walk through Revelation chapter 12, and then we're going to use alongside of that from the Old Testament, the book of Micah. So get ready. We're going to be flipping back and forth. So we're going to begin in Revelations chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Here we go. It says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. So here we have this setting of a woman clothed with the moon, this are clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, a crown of 12 stars on her head, and she is about to give birth. Now, we're going to pop over to Micah chapter 4 verses 9 and 10, and we're going to draw these parallels between these two because not because we are trying to pair scriptures together to make our point make sense. But it's because scripture is written with one topic, one intention, yeah. and one unfolding story. And so these are are matched together by the Holy Spirit. Right. They're talking about the same exact event and same context. And so they belong together when we answer this question and when we read through one or the other. So let's pick up Micah chapter four, verse nine and 10. It says, why do you now cry aloud? Have you no king? Has your ruler perished? That pain seizes you like that of a woman in labor. In labor, Writhe in agony, daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will, rede- will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. So what does this tell us? It, um, it explains to us that the woman that we read about in the first two verses of Revelation chapter 12, yeah. she is the remnant of Israel, right? She is the daughter of Zion that we talk about so much, the, the uh, many, many times that God went out of his way to preserve yeah. this family line, to bring about the Messiah. But here, this is this daughter of, of Zion preserved through Babylonian conquer exiled, and then to bring about the Messiah. And we're going to jump right back to Revelation chapter 12 and pick back up now that we understand who the woman is and who she's giving birth to. Yes. Chapter 12 of Revelation verse three and four. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment that it was born. Do you see the parallel here? So we've got this woman about to give birth, a red dragon standing before her to devour her child the moment it's born. And we're going to pause and go right back to Micah to get more context. This time we're going to be in chapter 5, 
verses 2 through 4. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites." He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. So much happening here. Yeah. But we see this this back and forth, this contrast. You've got the red dragon who is identified in chapter 12, verse 9 as Satan himself. He's portrayed here with seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns, his tail sweeping a third of the stars from the sky. So in short, the point here is Satan possesses great power. Yeah. He is depicted in this in this um really elaborate imagery of this ruler of nations of people who choose willfully to sin against God, who willfully submit to him. And so in this way, he subjugates the world, right? So he is pictured and painted with authority and power. Yeah. But then you see in this, this story, this family line that we follow so often in our time together, this small town um, that's inhabited by a small clan, the smallest of the family clans, yeah. this tribe of Judah, that's going to bring about an ancient and powerful ruler whose dominion will cover the whole earth. Sounds so familiar, right? From yeah. all of the time that we've stepped through the New Testament, I hope that the bells are going off. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. So let's head back to Revelations chapter 12. We're going to read right here, just verse 5 together. She, meaning that remnant of Israel, gave birth to a son, a male child, who, and they're quoting here, will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And so the imagery, you know, this explanation of Jesus, rather, is pretty to the point. Um, It's a direct quote from the Messianic Psalm, Psalm chapter 2. We'll read it here just so we can make sure it's crystal clear that we are not assuming that this is Jesus, but that the Bible explains to us that it is Jesus. Psalms chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, it says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. And here's what should sound so familiar. The ends of the earth will be your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. So it's very clear that the child being born from this remnant of Israel, this woman in labor, in pain, giving birth, is obviously Jesus, the Messiah, the one to come from the tribe of Judah. Satan here, ready to devour him, wants to destroy him. Satan wanted to destroy him, but we know that even death could not stop him. He was, in fact, snatched up to his father and to his throne. He resurrected. He reigns from heaven. He is at the right hand of God, where he holds all power and all authority on heaven and in earth, and not not just on the earth, but to all the ends of the earth. So let's head back to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to get finally only to verse 6. So we've stepped through a lot in this time, but here is um, a very important piece of this conversation. It says, verse 6, The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God 
where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. So this might sound cryptic, but don't let it trip you. This is a a time period that's referenced um, specifically, and we can also find it referenced as 42 months or three and a half years, or sometimes we read it as a time, a times, and a time and a half. So it all equals the same amount of time, and it's all a symbol to represent a time of limited persecution, which is exactly what happened um, after the Church of Christ was born, after this remnant gave birth to Christ, and then all of the offspring of this, it was persecuted. And accordingly, these people of God, the Jews who followed Jesus, they were opposed by the Pharisees and their own religious leaders, and they were spiritually sealed and protected, though they were physically persecuted. And so that's what that time period is really setting us up for. And so that's the setup that we have here in this question of when did Satan fall? When was he cast out of heaven? So here's our setup. We have a woman who is the remnant of Israel that we've talked about before. We have the dragon, which is Satan himself, and we have a child that is Jesus. And here's the key part of the passage for our conversation today. It's the final piece we're going to touch on in Revelations chapter 12 is verses 7 through 9. It says, then war broke out in heaven. Now, this is the mystical part. I think this is the part we all really want to know. Like, did that really happen? Is this going to happen? Has it already happened? Right. So I think that might be what we're trying to answer here. So then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and the angels with him. But here's here's our good part. By his resurrection, Christ has conquered He is over the dragon, and the dragon is enraged by this defeat. So now he aims to attack the followers of Jesus, the church, you and me. That's described in verse 17 of that. And here's what we are now called, the rest of the woman's offspring. So Tina, hopefully that's a good tee up to get us through uh, that. We've covered a lot of scripture so far, but we have a good deal more to cover to answer this question as best as we can, letting scripture answer for itself. Sure. Yeah. When I first looked at this question, when did Satan fall from heaven? That's that's just the quick, immediate answer. When Jesus conquered death, Revelation chapter 12, Mm -hmm. that would be my quick answer. But the reason I think this answer is not always so apparent is because other parts of the Bible get pointed toward this. Mm -hmm. And I want us just to challenge some Mm -hmm. of these ideas on this episode today. Mm -hmm. So what Stacy just presented from Revelation 12 is the saving work that Jesus did that brought about Satan's being cast out of heaven. And I want us to think really carefully about what that means, Mm -hmm. Satan being cast out of heaven. Because if we are looking for a physical event of a red dragon falling from the clouds, Mm -hmm. we're probably not thinking rightly about this. But before we get there, we're going to talk more about what that actually means. What does it mean for Satan to be cast down? But I want us to look at Ezekiel 28 first. So Ezekiel 28 is a chapter that often gets used to describe what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But let's look at the context. So Ezekiel, a prophet of God, is telling the story of God's judgment on Israel and other nations through poetic prophecies and laments. Right. That's what we find in that chapter. And the modern views on this 
are, are varied. Some people say that this is an account of Satan falling from heaven. And honestly, you can't even find a consensus among commentators. It is difficult mm-hmm. to pinpoint what exactly Ezekiel was thinking as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this book and this chapter. But here's just a good rule for us, right? We, we cannot approach Ezekiel and ask us, what in the world was in your mind when you wrote sure. this cryptic chapter? And so what we need to do then is let the context that Scripture gives us mm-hmm. be how we understand a passage rather than substituting symbols to affirm a meaning or an agenda that's outside of what's actually in the text. Sure. So what is actually in the text? We're going to read it. Ezekiel 28, 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In the pride of your heart, you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas, but you are a mere mortal and not a God, though you think you are as wise as a God. Mm -hmm. So that said... Some have seen this prophecy against Tyre, specifically against the king of Tyre. That's the context. It fits with the context of the book of Ezekiel, Mm -hmm. because this is a judgment Mm -hmm. being spoken against several nations um, in God's plan of what he is doing to establish King Jesus over all nations. But some have seen this as a parallel to Satan, especially what we just read in the pride of your heart, you say I am a God Mm -hmm. because of Satan's divine pretensions and his subsequent fall, what we're looking at today. It's worth noting, though, um, that Ezekiel 28 is not a standalone chapter. Right. It's part of a larger larger prophetic announcement and lament. So context matters. So three chapters Mm -hmm. of Ezekiel are actually dedicated to this prophecy against Tyre and Sidon, which are two cities in Phoenicia, which is roughly modern-day Lebanon. Mm -hmm. And in God's specific word against Tyre, if we let it be about Tyre, which is what Ezekiel says it's about, we're actually going to find some very specific fulfillments Mm -hmm. that can be traced through the history of the world that we would probably miss Mm -hmm. if we just start reading verses 1 and 2 and glaze over Mm -hmm. where it says a prophecy to the king of Tyre and instead say, this must be about Satan. Yeah, if we insert something else. Right. So I want to just share these specifics with you because this is an incredible affirmation of the the truth and the historicity of the Bible. Mm -hmm. It affirms the Bible. So let's look at some other scriptures in this section of chapters, Ezekiel 26 through Mm -hmm. 28, that are talking about this one thing. Yeah. This prophecy against, yeah, Tyre inside on. So Ezekiel 26, three, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, Tyre, and I will bring many nations against you like the sea casting up its waves. Accordingly, we can find in history that Babylon, Syria, Egypt, Rome, Greece, Armenia, and Persia are some of the nations who played a role in Tyre's ultimate destruction. Mm -hmm. And so that is fulfilled, Ezekiel 26, 7 and 8. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, from the north, I'm going to bring against Tyre Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings with horses and chariots. With horsemen and a great army, he will ravage your settlements on the mainland with the sword. He will set up siege works against you and build a ramp up to your walls and raise his shields against you. So 
Ezekiel prophesied that Nebuchadnezzar would ravage the mainland Mm -hmm. of Tyre, and he did, in fact, lay siege to Tyre, to the city for 13 years, beginning in 586 BC. He seized the mainland territory, and he subdued Tyre under Babylonian control. So we just listed many nations Mm -hmm. that have led to Tyre's demise that have contributed to that. Babylon was just the start. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel 26, 4, they will destroy the walls of Tyre and pull down her towers. I will scrape her rubble and make her a bare rock. And then Ezekiel 26, 14, I will make you a bare rock and you will become a place to spread fish nets. You will never be rebuilt for I, the Lord, have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. So we've seen a secession of empires. We've talked about that in this podcast before. Babylon falls to Persia. Persia falls to Greece. Greece falls to Rome. All of those are some of the empires we just named that contributed to Tyre's ultimate demise. Right. So 586 BC, you've got Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. They start this siege against Tyre. They're continuing to get it for hundreds of years. And then in 332 BC, Alexander the Great of Greece invaded Tyre and he scraped the mainland bare like a rock, clearing rubble and debris that had already accumulated because of the ongoing attacks against Tyre. Right. Which is exactly what Mm -hmm. God told Ezekiel he was going to do to Tyre. Mm -hmm. Now listen to Ezekiel 26, 12. They will plunder your wealth and loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls and demolish your fine houses and throw your stones timber, and rubble into the sea. Now, this is really incredible. When Alexander the Great of Greece plundered this city, he used this debris that he scraped from the mainland to build a bridge to the island, and it has forever changed the Mediterranean coastline and turned Tyre into a peninsula instead of an island, like it was in, in the days of Alexander the Great and in the days of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Ezekiel 26, 5 says, out in the sea, she will become a place to spread fishnets, for I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. She will become plunder for the nations. So Tyre, this this subject of Ezekiel 28, not Mm -hmm. because that's what we think, because that's how the chapter began. Right. It's a prophecy against the king of Tyre. This was an ancient economic superpower, and it's now, to this day, nothing more than a small fishing community, and its rocks and its ruins Mm -hmm. are used as a place where fishermen spread their nets to dry. And that's incredible. In that net. Because that's exactly what God said was going to happen. Ezekiel 26, 14 noted that the city of Tyre would never be rebuilt. And in 1291 AD, Tyre was crushed ultimately by the Muslims, and it's remained in ruins ever since. So that's been the fate of Tyre, and it closely aligns with what Ezekiel said about Tyre. Mm -hmm. And we only share those details to make the point that we need not try to point Ezekiel 28 toward the fall of Satan, because we want answers about that when we do actually have answers about that in Revelation chapter 12 that you just shared. Yeah. Now, I do want to say this before we leave Tyre, even though this whole thing's kind of just a side note about context. Even Tyre, in its destruction, in its ruins that it still sits in today, was not outside of Christ's reach because Jesus did ministry there that was recorded in Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Mm -hmm. His disciples evangelized there. That's recorded in Acts 11, 19. And then Paul stayed there with Christians during his third missionary journey, recorded in Acts 21, 1 through 6. So all that to say, Ezekiel's prophecy against Tyre was fulfilled with incredible accuracy that we can sit here today in 2000 
2023 Mm -hmm. and see the fulfillments. So it shouldn't necessarily be a place that we would go in Scripture Mm -hmm. to answer a question about when Satan fell from heaven. Right. But we do want to know what it's about. Right. And I would present to you the idea that it is actually about what it says it is. Yeah. And it's a prophecy against Tyre and the king of Tyre. And it's more confirmation that what God says he is going to fulfill. Yes. Quite literally. Yes. And so it gives us confidence even in the book of Revelation where I feel like sometimes we um, insert some mystical and um, hyperbole, maybe some, some... some wild imagery, right? We let our creativity fly, right? Yeah. With with movies and whole doctrines are centered around these sure. kinds of things, be, uh, all stemming from the book of Revelation. But just like we just walked through with Ezekiel, everything in scripture has context. God um, is, while he is wildly in love with us, mm-hmm. he does not um, leave us with so many riddles. He has spoken, yeah. it's complete, and we can understand it. Yes. And so I just appreciate that we walked through that because that does land itself in this conversation a yeah. lot of times. Um, but like we say every week here, context is so important, and it is important for us um, to stay on the conversation that the scriptures align as a part of the conversation. Yes. Right? All right. So because we are letting scripture um, give us the context for this yes. conversation, we're going to go back to the very first start of the conversation yes. in the Bible where we see this whole idea of God overcoming Satan um, even begin. So we're going to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15. Um, here, Uh, Man has fallen, um, and immediately in response to the fall and the the choice to step out of fellowship with God, the Creator, here is the response we see from God. He says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So God is handing out the consequences of the choices that mankind made and the deception made by the enemy against uh, humanity. And here, that's what he said would happen, that he being the Messiah will crush your head and you will strike his heel. From the moment that humanity falls, from our original innocence This plan was set into motion, and it's been the unfolding story. This is what we mean when we say each week that this scripture, this book, is one conversation with one ultimate uh, goal and plan, um, overarching uh, commitment that God has made from start to finish, and it is to fulfill His promise. And this this was His intent. Satan would strike Jesus' heel when Jesus was crucified. Very clear. But Jesus would crush the head of Satan when he resurrected. In the beginning of this episode, we started off by noting that Satan stood in the presence accusing God and accusing the people of God, right? We started off kind of refreshing ourselves in the book of Job. Then we read from Revelations 12, and then where, where verse 10 describes Satan as a slander of God, we hear that familiar uh, call or that familiar title of Satan, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, verse 10 says, who accuses them before our God day and night. So we see everything that God has said would unfold, has unfolded. The enemy did strike the heel of Jesus. Jesus crushed his head when he overcame um, when he overcame sin and death. And now we still have this accuser slandering God's people 
But the saving work of Christ with this, Satan is thrown down. Christ is elevated to the right hand of God, just like we read about. He is snatched up to the throne of God, where he acts as now our mediator, interceding for us on our behalf. So, our mediator, it literally means one who stands in between. Where there is no mediator, there is destruction caused by sin. There's chaos. But Jesus stood in the place of judgment for us. He took on our penalty for our sin so that we could have forgiveness and new life. And in that new life, we have Him and His Holy Spirit interceding and mediating to the Father. That's why He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also continues to stand in this gap for us. He advocates for us with the Father, and He will do that until the day that He brings our eternal inheritance, the restoration that he has been after since the very beginning, since Genesis chapter three, he will restore us and bring us back into the presence of God. Because of what Jesus has done for us, the accuser who slanders humanity before God has been overcome by this mediator who intercedes and advocates for humanity before God. So Satan was crushed the moment that Christ overcame death. So a major implication then in the casting out of Satan is maybe not this actual physical event that you you spoke about just a few minutes ago, but it's more of a shift of power from evil to good. Mankind no longer being bound to evil um, because we do have the ability to choose it, right? Mm -hmm. No longer being slaves to sin with no way out right now because of the choices in Genesis chapter 3 there is this ability for us to choose sin but there was no ability for us to get out right. of it um, being enslaved to sin was something we could not get ourselves out of um, once enslaved so as Paul says it being slaves to sin but now Jesus advocates on our behalf Let's look one more time at this prophecy and the fulfillment regarding the fate of that serpent. We're still in Genesis chapter 3, but right now we're going to hit verses 14 and 15. It says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, talking about Jesus, and you will strike his heel. So let's read once more Revelations chapter 12, verse 9. And here's what it says. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So Tina, to close us out, will you just step us through a little more of the work that Christ has accomplished in response to man's fall, the serpents being cur- the serpent being cursed, and the, the casting out of Satan from heaven? Definitely, because what we want to note here at the end of this is that this casting out of Satan was not only a victory that Christ accomplished 2,000 years ago. It was that, but it wasn't only that because there's an ongoing battle. Mm -hmm. And if you go back and listen to that episode you mentioned earlier about speaking in tongues, you'll see the follow-up to this this thing of Satan being cast down is that he is now raging against Christ and his church. Mm -hmm. That's where you started this. He's so mad. (laughs) So 
what does this look like as an ongoing struggle? Well, you remember God said that the offspring of the woman would crush the head of Satan. Who is that? That offspring, Jesus, right? And then the offspring of the serpent, you read in Genesis 3.15, would strike Jesus' heel. So who is that? Mm-hmm. I think that's an important question here. Who is the offspring of the serpent? Is it demons? Is it those who do evil? Those who carry out the work of Satan and oppose Christ? Those who put him to death on a cross? Mm-hmm. Well, let's look at it. So offspring in Genesis 3.15 mm-hmm. that Stacy just read, that that between your offspring and hers, that word is a Hebrew word, zera, And Here's an important note about it. It's a collective noun, so it means descendants or children. Now, as a point of reference here to help our understanding, something we've talked about here, I believe, before is ekklesia. That's a Greek word. Sure. And it's a collective noun. Mm -hmm. So when someone comes here to our church that's called Ecclesia Christian Church, and they say, well, I don't need to go to church because I am the church, Mm -hmm. we say no. We are the church Mm -hmm. because church is a collective noun, and one person can be a church, just like one sheep can't be a herd, and one bee can't be a swarm, and one lion can't be a pride. One person can't be a church. But in the same way, this zera, this Hebrew word for offspring, is a collective noun. So the grammatical context here would imply that zera can't be just one descendant or offspring Mm -hmm. of the woman Mm -hmm. or of the serpent, Mm -hmm. all right? So hopefully you're tracking here. First, let's examine who are the collective offspring of the serpent. Well, let's look what Jesus says. During his ministry, he said that the offspring of the devil Mm -hmm. are the Jews who opposed him Mm -hmm. during his ministry. John 8, 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Right. So who are the offspring, the people who put Jesus to death? Yes, Mm -hmm. but not only them. When Paul was preaching the gospel in Paphos in Acts 13, there was a false prophet named Elimus who tried to interfere with his evangelistic efforts. And I want you just to hear what happens there, Acts 13, 8 through 10. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from his faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right, the offspring of Satan. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? So Mm -hmm. who are the offspring? Those who try to turn people from faith. Mm -hmm. Paul here is witnessing to this important government official making headway with him, bringing him toward Christ and in step someone who tries to interfere with that, Right. who tries to cut off the work of the Holy Spirit in this man that Paul is discipling. And Paul says, you are the offspring right. of the serpent. Right. And then here's what Jesus' apostle John says, 1 John 3, 8 through 10, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. There's right. that fall right. that we're talking about. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them and they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. 
Right. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Right. So who are the offspring who are striking at the heel of Jesus, of mm-hmm. the woman? Um, they are those who oppose Christ, those who oppose the preaching of the gospel, those who don't do what's right, and those who don't love the family of believers. That is the offspring that we find of the devil in Genesis 3.15. Right. And now who is the offspring of the woman? We've already looked at Revelation chapter 12. That's where you started us, where we read about this hurling down of Satan. And we said that that offspring that the woman bore, who Satan tried to attack, Mm -hmm. who he tried to devour, that was Jesus the Messiah. And then we've also talked about how the rest of her offspring Mm -hmm. are Christ's church. So Mm -hmm. let's look at that again. Revelation 12, 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God in his throne. There's mm-hmm. Jesus. Then we move down to Revelation 12, 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, Right, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. Right. right. We've identified both. We know who the offspring of the serpent are, and we know the offspring of the woman are Jesus and his church. But what does that have to do with the hurling down or right. casting out of Satan? Well, the crushing of the serpent and the hurling down of the serpent, those are synonymous. Right. You've already shown us what we read in Genesis 3.15 is a prophecy, and then we find its fulfillment in Revelation chapter 12. Right. So again, instead of thinking of this like a physical event, Mm-hmm. We need to understand that that the casting out or the hurling down of Satan was the breaking of a stronghold. Yes. It was the overcoming of evil with good. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to point you toward something that Jesus says. In Luke 10, Jesus appointed 72 disciples, and he sent yeah. them out to proclaim a message, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Mm-hmm. And then he gave them the power to perform miracles and establish their testimony to show that what they were preaching about Jesus was true. Right. And here's what Luke 10, 17 through 20 says about their recounting what they went through on this mission, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Mm -hmm. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Mm -hmm. So Satan's fall here, again, is a picture of the removal of his authority rather than looking for a time on a timeline when an event occurred, when we're talking about spiritual powers and God Almighty, Mm -hmm. who is eternal Mm -hmm. and doesn't operate in the scope of a timeline, Mm -hmm. what we're looking at is a shift in authority. Satan has been the ruler of this world, and he's gained his position through the spreading of sin. As we submit to him, he is empowered. Right. As we act as his offspring, he gains power. He was the accuser who brought charges against God's people before God's throne, and the birth of Jesus posed a great threat to that power, Yeah, right? That's why we read in Revelation 12, 4, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Right. 
But the coming of Christ brought about his fall, and then his death and his resurrection empowers Christ's disciples to minister with an authority that can continue to crush the head of Satan. That's right. Continue to crush the power of hell. So Satan is cast down, and his power is bound, but here's the kicker. He's bound, but not yet fully crushed. Yeah. Because it wasn't just through one person, the Mm -hmm. person of Jesus, Mm -hmm. God in flesh, that God was going to crush the head of the Satan because offspring we just learned is a a plural, a collective noun. Right. We are still partaking in that struggle. And I want you to consider for a minute, what was the curse of the garden? Yes. Because that's where this whole thing started. That's where this prophecy that Satan would be crushed, that he would be hurled down, that's where it was given. The curse of the garden was death, Mm -hmm. right? Mankind sinned, and then the way to the tree of life had to be cut off because God said, I don't want them to reach out and take from the tree of life and live forever, Right? not while fellowship between us is broken. Mm -hmm. So the penalty, the curse, is that everyone has to die. But then Christ conquered sin and death so that we can be forgiven of sin, that his life is eternal. We can resurrect from death, from a spiritual death, right. a state of death to a spiritual new life, to an eternal life that's mm-hmm. going to lead us to eternity in heaven. Mm-hmm. But like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, right. we are still in our physical bodies, mm-hmm. recipients and carriers of the physical curse right. of death until we can be resurrected to new life. But here's the final crushing, Mm -hmm. because this is still something playing out. Satan is still being hurled down. He's Mm -hmm. still being crushed. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 26, then the end will come when he, that's Jesus, hands over the kingdom of God to the Father as he has destroyed all dominion, power, and authority. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Right. So the final end to the Genesis 3 curse Mm -hmm. comes when Jesus completely destroys death, that one piece of the curse, a physical death that is still active in us. Although we Uh have spiritual eternity, Mm -hmm. we still are subject to death until this time. Mm -hmm. And then here's the encouragement Paul gives us as we live in this broken state, mm-hmm. Romans 16, 17 through 20, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Right. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Now, I want you to think about what he just described was offspring of Mm -hmm. the serpent, and they're acting just like their father who deceived Eve in the garden by smooth talk and flattery. Don't Mm -hmm. you want to be like God? Mm -hmm. Don't you want to know the difference between good and evil? But he goes on to say, everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. I hope you see Paul drawing a contrast here between the offspring of the serpent Mm -hmm. and the offspring of the woman as he writes to the church. He says, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Mm -hmm. And catch this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Mm -hmm. So that's the final crushing. And Jesus does it 
And we are doing it. Right. As we walk with the Father, as we are giving authority and power and dominion to Christ in our lives, instead of feeding into the power of Satan by acting as his offspring, we are continually Mm -hmm. hurling him down. We're continually crushing him under our feet. That's what Christ has empowered us to do, not because we're that powerful, but because he's given us the ability to do it. So in summary... When was Satan mm-hmm. hurled down, cast out of heaven? Let's walk it through. In the beginning, Satan deceived humanity with lies and deceit, like we just heard about from Paul in Romans right. 16. Right. And in his efforts to rule over mankind, he accused them before God, like yes. we saw in the book of Job, seeking to divide the creation against the creator. Right. And death is the curse and the consequence right. of sin that was introduced into the world Mm -hmm. by Satan and his deception. Satan has been the ruler of this world, and he's gained that position through the spreading of sin by his offspring, Mm -hmm. the offspring of the serpent that we read about in Genesis 3. But with the coming of Christ, the first offspring of the woman, Satan's dominion was broken, Mm -hmm. and God made a way for a worldwide exodus of sin. So like you said, we don't have to be slaves to sin any longer. We don't have to serve that dominion. Satan's fall was not a literal red dragon falling down from the clouds, but it was a removal of his authority. And so Satan was thrown down so that righteousness now can reign. Right. Still, though, Satan does everything he can to attack and to stop God's people. His offspring continue to act on his behalf. They lie, they deceive, they divide, because his goal is to continue the curse, Mm -hmm. which is leading people to death. That's right. That's what he's trying to accomplish. And yet... Christ is reigning in heaven and his kingdom is victorious. And it's through his church, the rest of the offspring of the woman, that the crushing of Satan is ongoing and the gospel is spread. And so people are led away from the curse. Right. They're led from death to life by our evangelistic efforts and the power of Christ. And soon mm-hmm. Jesus is going to return and deal the final crushing blow by defeating the very last enemy, and that's death itself. Right. And that's when... Satan will be hurled down for good. Right. And Revelation 20.10 says it like this, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Right. When is Satan hurled down? Revelation 20.10. Right. He has been hurled down. He has been crushed. He is being crushed. And he will be crushed. And he is waging war. He's raging against us. And what I think is so amazing about all that we've stepped through is it once again unfolds God's heart and intention. He started in perfect fellowship in the garden with us, and he is walking us into a garden in perfect fellowship presence, yes. in his presence for all of eternity. But he is undoing for us yeah. all that man accepted because of our free will. Yeah. And as we move forward, we still have the choices to participate in the crushing right. and the hurling down of Satan with our own actions in our sphere of influence. But we're not going to be prepared to do it unless we are filled up with the knowledge yes. of God, His intention and His plan, what He has already done and what He is planning yes. to do and how He is going to use His church to accomplish His ultimate goal, which is to be with us uh, for all of eternity. So a great resource uh, to equip yourself for that work 
work is this book and this podcast, Step Into Scripture. You can pick that up um, on Amazon. It's published by Renew.org. Tina has uh, done a lot of heavy lifting for us, pinning these truths from one testament to the from one testament to the next testament, so that we can understand and put into context all the things that God has for us. So we are thrilled that you guys stepped through it with us today. Yeah, we'll see you next week. And until then. Man, decide whose offspring you want to be, and you can participate in the hurling down and the crushing of the serpent. Yeah, I love it. See you later.